Hey family, it is the midweeks. We're coming at you with 2 Samuel again. We're in chapter 8. And I've titled this podcast The King of Kings because this is when God is going to really establish David as the dominant king in his neighborhood, in his neck of the woods. And this is meant to be connected to the Davidic promise that was given in the last chapter where God says he's going to establish David's throne and have one of his children sitting on the throne. Well, obviously, in order for God to fulfill that promise, he needs to give David success because David is still surrounded by enemies. And I see this chapter as contrasting with Saul's uh, military ministry. Remember in 1 Samuel, they were singing this song, you know, Saul's killed his thousands and David's his ten thousands. And David tended to be a more successful warrior than Saul wherever he went, which was good for Israel. And Saul could have seen that as good for his own nation too. David was happy to serve under Saul's kingship until Saul started trying to kill him. But now that David is king, that same um, power that God has given David to be unstoppable in battle is going to change it from the king defending Israel from attack and incursion to now the king extending the military influence of Israel outside of the nation. And so we're meant to see this as God establishing David, not just in Israel, but amongst the neighbors of Israel as well. And as a fulfillment of the promise of God to give Israel a good king that actually does bring Israel peace from its neighbors. So 2 Samuel chapter 8, it's not a long chapter, but we'll read through it. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methag Amma out of the hand of the Philistines. Now remember, um, David was amongst the Philistines not that long ago. Now he's defeating them and reclaiming territory from them or claiming their own territory. I'm not sure where Methag Ammon is. You can do a little Google on that, but either he's taking Israel's territory back or he's actually expanding the territory of Israel at the cost of the Philistines. Verse two, and he defeated Moab and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground and two lines he measured to be put to death and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites were servants of David and brought tribute. Now this is very severe and I'm not sure You'd have to do a little bit of research to see if maybe David crossed the line here, no pun intended, with what he did. But really, this is a measure of making an adversary no longer able to wage war. So they defeated them in battle, and then they destroyed them by two-thirds so that they wouldn't have fighting men able to muster a rebellion or an incursion against uh, David. And... So making them servants, bringing them tribute. So Moab is no longer able now to wage war against Israel, but is instead bringing tribute. And tribute is something that they people would insist on for a number of reasons. So it would be like that. It was like a foreign tax, but essentially what it did was that wealth was able to be used to build up the military power of the people demanding tribute, as well as it um, decreased usually the economy and the ability to raise up soldiers of the people who were compelled to bring tribute. And usually there was some kind of uh, arrangement here so that Israel would be actually responsible for defending Moab as well. I don't know if you know this, but like after the Second World War, after the United States 
um, defeated Japan by dropping the nuclear bombs on it. Uh, Japan was forbidden for a long time for raising up its own navy, its own military forces, and instead the United States would uh, have a base there and would offer military protection for Japan, but Japan wasn't actually able to raise up its own military. And I th I'm not even sure now exactly how intertwined the Japanese and U.S. Uh, naval forces are but that was part of the uh, requirements for the defeat was that they weren't allowed to raise up uh, a navy but instead the United States would provide protection for Japan. Alright verse 3 David also defeated Hadadizer the son of Rehob the king of Zobah as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates and David took him from him sorry 1700 horsemen and 2000 foot soldiers and David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for a hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. And David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Beta and from Birothai, cities of Hadadezer, David took very much bronze. Okay, so again, listing the victories that God is giving David as he is being established as a central power and as he's bringing peace to Israel by defeating these people who typically would have been invading Israel or enemies of Israel. So just a few things to note here. Um, the hamstringing of the chariot horses. This, by and large, was a good thing. God commanded the kings of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy not to amass horses and chariots for themselves, but instead to depend on God giving the victory. And so the chariot, I think, was most likely the most advanced military technology at the time. Sort of like now, you know, it's like missiles that can carry nuclear warheads around the world. I think China just announced that they can do that. That's like the most advanced military technology is that now people can drop nuclear bombs on anybody they want to throughout the entire planet, which is somewhat concerning, but we have to trust the Lord. At the time, um, chariots were that advanced level of military technology. And so by hamstringing the chariot horses, David is saying we don't trust technology we trust in the lord's ability to give victory it doesn't mean he wouldn't have used strategy and um, tactics in his military battles as being led by the lord but it does mean that he's not he's not trying to become a king like all the other kings that depend on horses and chariots for success but instead trusting in the lord i'm not sure when it says but it left 100 chariots if that's a sign of like 90 percent faith and 10 percent unbelief or what it, it is exactly but the act that the fact that he hamstrung most of the horses is a sign of faith and when the syrians of damascus came to help hadadezer david struck them down too so um this is again so the the one victory is leading to another victory and then it's starting to talk about how david is amassing the gold shields and amassing the bronze um, and so these treasures david is going to dedicate to the building of the temple later on remember david talked about wanting to build the lord a house and god said you want to build me a house no i'm going to build you a house so david is 
now beginning to amass wealth that is going to be used towards the construction of the temple in the future. And that's why it's mentioned here where he's getting that wealth from. Verse 9, when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy, and Joram brought with him articles of gold and silver and bronze. So this is a case of the enemy of the enemy, my enemy is my friend, and they're also probably looking at the unparalleled success of David in military victories here and saying, we don't want to try our luck against this guy. We'd rather have him as an ally and instead of as an enemy. And so they send this delegation of kindness to ask after his health and bless him and to give him these gifts of, again, silver, gold, and bronze, which are going to be used towards the dedication of the temple. Now, a few chapters later, David's going to do the same kind of thing where he's going to show this act of kindness to um, a new king. I think it's the king of the Ammonites. And that king is going to respond really badly, which is going to facilitate a war, which is going to lead to the whole episode with Bathsheba. But in this case, David is the one receiving this honor from foreign kings. Verse 11. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, see? And so together with the silver and the gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So that means that David became uber, uber famous for his military victories. Everyone started to quake in their boots. Verse 14. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So that's the key verse there, that it's the Lord giving David victory. He's establishing him as a king among kings, the kind of king that defeats other kings, the kind of king that takes um, tribute from other kings, the kind of king that puts garrisons in the nations of other kings after destroying them. So God is establishing David as the king of kings. And, you know, ultimately, Jesus is going to be the true king of kings who rules over all the nations of the world without even having to defeat them. He's defeated them through the cross and through the resurrection and through his unparalleled power, which he can guide all things towards the will of the Father and rule over the nations with a rod of iron as God subjects all nations under the feet of Jesus, who is the true king of kings. But in history, David is a forerunner of Christ by being exalted as a king over kings in temporal geographical times verse 15 we're getting close to the end so david reigned over all israel there's a good summary there and david administered justice and equity to all his people another great summary verse that israel's doing really well at this time they're defeating their enemies there's peace and justice in the nation there's no civil war going on and then it gives us a list of who was doing what this is one of the ways of having like a chapter close in this book is by giving us a summary of who's doing what over the nation of israel job the son of zariah was over the army and jehoshaphat the son of ahilud was recorder and zadok the son of ahitab and ahimelech the son of abiathar were priests and sariah was sec were secretary and ben beniah the son of jehoiada was over the cherethites and the pelethites and david's sons were priests which is somewhat weird like was their mother a levite or is this like davidic priesthood where he's offering sacrifices just being done through his sons as well and so you'd have to check there was this a good thing that david was doing this was this not a good thing maybe there's some interpretation to be done there 
Anyhow, a short chapter, but this is a chapter about God establishing David's kingdom again after giving David this promise that his kingdom is going to reign through ever, forever through his sons. And so he gets this massive victory over everyone around him and establishes the kingdom. And amen. So be blessed, church. And I hope that you are having a great Christmas time and we'll continue on with this next chapter where David is going to perform chesed for Jonathan by taking care of pretty much the only living relative that David can find in the person of, da, 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 da. what's his name here? Mephibosheth. All right. So we'll look at Mephibosheth next week on the midweeks. God bless.